0: In the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit today's parable is without a doubt one of the harder parables to wrap your arms around just thinking about it out loud for a second you have a manager who takes care of day-to-day business affairs for a wealthy man it appears that he has quite a bit of power he bills clients, he keeps the books, and probably handled quite a bit of money. Then we find out that he's a bit of a swindler, patting his own pockets with his master's money. So far, so good? We have these kinds of people among us today, so we know that this is a true life story. But it does get a little bit strange when Jesus, through the mouth of the wealthy wealthy man, commends the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. This is really wild stuff. So, what are we to make of this parable? Well, first, let's make it clear that Jesus is not praising or advocating for lying, cheating, and stealing. Sorry about your luck. Remember the early details of the parable. The manager loses his job for, wasting the, man, for the, wasting the wealthy man's possessions. Wasting someone else's possessions clearly falls under the purview of the seventh commandment, which tells us that we are not to take our neighbor's money or possessions or get them in any dishonest way, but help him to improve and protect his possessions and income. By failing to protect his master's wealth, the man is guilty of stealing, and that is what is punished. In this sense, the manager is not a saint that we should seek to emulate. It is not commendable to waste something that was given to you by someone else or something that belongs to someone else. If you work for somebody, don't waste their time if you are a student don't waste your teacher's time stealing is stealing even if you aren't directly taking the wallet out of their pocket fortunately jesus gives us a key to unlock this parable at the very end of the text in in verse 8 he says two things first he says the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. So let's unpack this a bit. Who are the sons of this generation? Well, that phrase, this generation, occurs a lot in the Gospels, and Jesus uses it to speak of those who are descendant, uh, descendants of fallen Adam. The sons of light, on the other hand, are quite clearly... Christians. So with that in, our, in mind, let's keep going. So what is it that the rich man commends here? Well, he commends the manager's shrewdness. So out of curiosity, I looked up the English definition of the word shrewd, and I came up with this. Having shown astute or sharp judgment in practical matters, sometimes at the cost of moral compromise. More briefly, the dictionary says shrewd means cunning or tricky, and this seems to fit rather well our friend the manager in the parable today. He was certainly good at the practical matters of his job. He knew he had no other marketing, marketable skills like digging or begging. The manager's wasting of his master's possessions, though, is parallel to another rather familiar story from the Gospel of Luke, one that actually occurs just one chapter before this one. In Luke 15, we find the parable of the prodigal son. Remember that parable. You find the story of a young man who has wasted his father's possessions in wild living and he has hit the bottom when he is feeding pigs for some foreign farmer and he's so hungry that he wants to eat what the pigs are eating and he realizes at that moment that he has hit rock bottom when he wants to eat pig slop he could not pull himself up by his own bootstraps And so the answer to his problem did not lie anywhere within himself. He had to find help from the outside. The prodigal son knew that he had a merciful father. And so, with that backstory, we find out something that the manager knows as well. That his employer was also a man of mercy. Consider the master or the manager quickly takes the bills of his master's debtors and he gives them deep discounts on what they owe. There is not a question at all from the debtors about the legitimacy of the discount. The debtors know that the rich man is merciful and they accept the discounts on what they owe the master in wheat and oil without question. Now, this puts the rich man in a hard spot. He can either tell the debtors that the deal is off and he can risk his reputation as being a man of mercy, or he can eat the cost that he himself has now incurred and continue to show that merciful face to those who are indebted to him. The rich man commends the shrewdness of the manager because he knew that he could count on his master's mercy. This is the astute judgment of the word shrewd that we heard earlier. Here, Jesus shrewdly uses the story of a scoundrel to show how merciful God is towards sinners, towards you and me. When we have no place to turn to get out of whatever mess we found ourselves in, whether it's of our making or we're just a victim of circumstances, Jesus wants us to see that we can flee to our master, to our God, for mercy. Dear saints, this is what it is to be shrewd in a commendable way. God is merciful toward sinners. If shrewdness is being sharp and making practical decisions, this means that our theology is eminently practical. When we are in trouble, we can look to the Word of God, and we can look to God Himself for Him to rescue us. And this is what He has done. Jesus knows that His Father is merciful. He has taken your bill of sin and he's not discounted it, but he has completely canceled it. St. Paul writes, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it, To the cross, you have been redeemed not with gold or silver or wheat or oil, but with the precious blood of Jesus. He has taken the cost of your sin upon himself. This is the key to a right understanding of this parable. That our God is a merciful God. Now, I said that there were two keys to this parable. The second key, according to Jesus, is this He says, Make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. This is a clear reference to the thing that the world considers valuable. And its number one expression, of course, is in cold, hard cash, in money itself. Now, money in and of itself is not evil. Now, a lot of folks think that the scriptures actually say that that money is evil. But what does the Bible actually say? The verse goes like this. The love of money is the root of all evil. So it's not the money itself that's evil, but it's loving money. It's desiring it. It is our desire for more and more that makes this situation a wicked thing. This is one of the ways in which the Bible teaches us about original sin. Original sin is never satisfied. One of our hymns puts it like this. The world seeks after wealth and all that mammon offers, yet never is content though gold should fill its coffers. Or if you like, King Solomon says, Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. The trap is not money itself. The real snare... For both the rich and the poor alike is our love of money. Maybe a more concrete way of thinking about the phrase, the love of money, is putting our trust in it. Putting our trust in the things of this life. Making it our ground of certainty in an uncertain world. Now, of course, it's not limited to money. I think young athletes are tempted to rely on their skills as potential for making a living. Or think back to the early days of the pandemic when the store shelves were bare. That showed that folks were putting their trust in things like bread flour and toilet paper for their survival. But Jesus seeks to remind us that all earthly wealth will pass away, that is, When we die, our wealth, everything that we have, will become meaningless. Like the rich farmer in another parable with his bigger grain bins. Remember, he built these bins and he was satisfied at the end of the day. What will his great possessions do for him in death? So here, Jesus is speaking of wealth that doesn't earn us anything from God. Whose inscription and likeness are on the coin for the tax? It's Caesar's. It belongs to him, so it should be rendered back to him. It's not that money is evil, but the function of the fallen world and the scarcity, but it is part of the scarcity uh, that results from the fall. Any good economist would simply tell us that this is good supply and demand at work, and once we figure that out, well, then we'll be fine. But Jesus wants you to think more deeply about your money as a tool, and a tool for spreading the gospel. Instead of letting money be our master, God now places you in the role of the manager from the parable. He, God, is the rich man who gives into your hands some of his estate to take care of. Like Adam, who was given management of the Garden of Eden, God has given you everything that you have not one thing do you have that was not given to you by God it really is his and he will ask you to give an account of all that you did with it just as was portrayed in this parable so what does God expect of you again Jesus says make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth So that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. With these words, Jesus exhorts the disciples and you and me by extension that to use our earthly wealth, we are to use it to teach others about Christ. Teach others about Christ and most especially his saving work for sinners. This can take on many forms some of you young men or even older men ought to consider whether you are fit for pastoral ministry. If you love the scriptures and you love to tell others what you know about Jesus from the word of God, come and talk to me about what seminary is like. For others, it may be something as simple as inviting your friends to come to church with you. The way that this part of the text speaks to every one of us alike, however, is how God would have us use our dollars and cents wealth for the kingdom of Christ. Just as God required a tithe of his people of old in the Old Testament, so also would he have us contribute out of our wealth to the church's mission today. When we put our money in the offering plate, or the, well, right now, the offering box, God uses that money to keep us operating here so that we can together continue to hear the word of God and receive the forgiveness that Jesus has won for us in the sacraments that he has instituted among us. With that, he gives us hope, the hope of eternal life. And then we spill out into the world around us and we can tell others about Christ. Our offering money goes to help pay for Christian teaching of our children And others at Lutheran Central. Our offering money goes to support various projects of the district and the synod as they use your offerings in combination with others to support the preaching of the gospel here at home and around the world. And so being a faithful steward is looking to see how you as an individual, and we as a congregation together can use our earthly wealth as a tool to let others know about Jesus, who is the true steward of God the Father's mercy toward us sinners. And so to plug this back into the parable, you become like the steward to those around you who do not yet know Christ. Even though you may not be the person whom God uses directly to bring another person to faith, you are, in a vital way, still pointing to the one who has erased the debt of all. In Jesus' name. And now the peace of God, which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus our Lord.